The global pandemic has left millions of couples unsure of when and how they can get married. Hi, I'm Julie Sabatino, the owner of The Stylish Bride. And for the last 17 years, I've been working with clients on all of the fashion elements of their weddings. I know firsthand that as a bride today, you're faced with many hard decisions and lots of complicated feelings, but you also really want to enjoy this special time in your life. We're going to talk about all of it. Through interviews with industry icons, real brides, and some boots on the ground knowledge, I'm here to help you navigate the tricky waters of getting married in the time of COVID and hopefully have some fun along the way. Welcome to season two of the podcast. I am so glad you're here. So if you want to try it for yourself, and I recommend that you do, you can find it on their website, supaskincare.com. And as a special bonus for our listeners, enter the discount code TSB20 at checkout for 20% off. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Stylish Bride podcast. I am so excited to be here with Kiana Underwood, the founder of Tulipina, which is the most amazing, beautiful, artistic floral designer who does luxury weddings in uh, mostly abroad in Lake Como, but also around the world. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Julie. I love being here. Me too. I love having you. It's a pleasure. For everyone out there, I think that we should start by talking a little bit about the difference between a floral designer and a planner, because there's always a lot of confusion for new brides. And could you just break it down for me from your perspective? Yeah. So from my perspective, I would say that planners are those who do their job well, are the people that actually make my job easy. And they're the person who actually puts it all together from sometimes they are design people also, and sometimes they just plan and coordinate everything. And I've worked with both types of, you know, planners, the designers and planners versus just coordinators. And it's just a wonderful, smooth process between myself as a vendor and them as the organizer of this big, beautiful event. And really, they're like the general contractor. And you are one of the biggest, if not the biggest, vendor that they oversee. I think that it's, in my opinion, flowers are such a huge thing, at least for the weddings that I do. Flowers are really the biggest, probably one of the biggest components of the events. It's always such a great partnership between myself and the planners, because oftentimes those who um, seek me out, uh, whether it's the bride or the planner or both, they really love my work. And so they allow me to do what I do best, which is just create artful design. It's a great, I think it's a great partnership in that sense that it brings everybody's vision together in a smooth manner. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely true. The best planners are the ones that make their job easier and they make our job easier. It's a collaboration. It really is. No, I agree. What falls, I mean, obviously the flowers, but what else falls under your domain? Sometimes I'll actually design because some planners don't want to deal with design. They just want to coordinate all of these different vendors. And so I'll be the one designing and obviously doing by designing. I mean, the table setting and the Mm -hmm. tablecloths and what goes up in the ceiling and what goes in the environment. And then that includes the flowers and what candles and what candle holders and 
all just all encompassing design for the day. And sometimes I'll even pick the furniture. Actually, 50% of the time I do. And then other times it's just a collaboration. You know, the planner will say, well, here is this is the color that they want and here is the stuff they like this is what their style is and this is what they like and and then together we come what we come up with this wonderful design yeah and do you prefer it one way or the other or are you happy to do um i'm actually happy to do it either way because the people i work with are quite lovely. Whether I have to really do all the design work, I'm okay with it. I mean, that means more control for me. But at the same time, those who I design with, and one of those people is Rachel Berthesel of Lake Como Weddings. We have such a great dynamic in that, you know, we'll sit together one afternoon and we'll just go through three, four different, you know, design plans for weddings. And it'll be like this amazing, like, design ideas kind of born from just sitting together and talking and throwing ideas out there. And so I like them both ways. Yeah. And it is kind of nice to have a variety. I've seen the magic. We did a wedding together last year where both of you were working and I had the pleasure and honor of being there. And it was truly incredible what came out of that. It was, it was magic. Honestly, It was a lot of work, but also a lot of fun. You have fun and you are enjoying what you're doing. It doesn't feel like work. Yes, it's true. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about how you got started in floral design. Well, so I, um, believe it or not, I went to school for something completely different. I, I went, I got my master's to become a diplomat. I was born and raised in, in Tehran, Iran, and I come from a very, I would say, diverse background in the, in the sense that we traveled so much when we were younger and I wanted to always just you know I spoke different languages and I wanted to just travel the world I'm interested in people and cultures and language and so um, I pursued that route um, from university but I went to a wonderful school Johns Hopkins University and I, I was in DC for a couple of years But the biggest mistake I made for that career was to move back to San Francisco, where my family and I had immigrated to from Iran. And so in San Francisco, it's just very, a very different scene. And you, you don't get a master's degree in international economics and move to San Francisco. You (laughs) either move to Washington DC or, or New York, or I don't know, you'll, you'll go to Geneva or anywhere else but San Francisco. So um, I, I moved back because of my culture and my family and my mother mostly. And that really just didn't give me the opportunity to be who I could be in that in that world. I did obtain a job at Stanford University for a couple of years doing research and writing at a think tank. But that think tank was a Republican think tank run by all men. It was talking about education all the time. And I had no interest. My my passions were women's rights and people's rights and just um, international human rights. And that wasn't something that was being focused on at the Hoover Institution at the time. So once I got pregnant with my first child, it was sort of kind of a relief because I thought, well, you know what? I don't love my job. My husband provides wonderful living for us. I'm just going to quit this job and raise my daughter. And so I did. 
And within a matter of three years, I found myself, not three years, I would say like more like five under the, with three kids under the age of five and oh my God. Um, at home. Yes. And so for me, it's like, I love my children. I'm so grateful to be their mother. And I'm so grateful that I got to be home with them while they were small and raised them. But all the, the time that I was at home, I always felt like I needed something more just for me. That, yeah. that I, as a person, I was lost. My identity as a person outside of being a mother was lost. And being a housewife, I used to have little parties with preschool moms or just like my little friends. And I would always have these beautiful tables or I would have an arrangement sitting um, at my entry or just always love to have a garden or just something that had to do with flowers. And that's just because it's a part of Persian culture. You know, it's my mother always was like that. My grandfather, I grew up in his beautiful gardens. And it's such a big part of our culture, so much that we don't even notice it because it's just there. And so um, as I was doing all that, friends would come over and they would say, where did she get this centerpiece? And I'd say, I, I made it. Um, and they'd say, well, can you make it for me? Or can you show me how you did it? You know? And I think it was in 2011 that my youngest was going to kindergarten, that husband, Nate, he said, you know, you've been looking to do something all this time, but I think you should, this could be your thing. Like this floral design could be your business. I thought it was the most ridiculous notion that I should become a florist because, you know, in the city of San Francisco, you have so many beautiful florists. There are many, many wonderful designers. And and I thought, why, why would anybody want me to design for them? Because th there are so many options out there. And But the reality was that I was now free from 9 to 1230. And uh, I had some time to just do my own thing. And I wasn't losing anything just being at home and working from my little garage and making arrangements and playing around and understanding what my style was and what I liked, what my favorite flowers were. And so for the first year, I just started playing, playing with flowers and understanding who I really was within this realm. Oh my God, that's an amazing story. <laughs> I get into a long answer. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm really fascinated. And then what happened? So you spent a year deciding. So your I just, yeah, I mean, I, we, uh, in San Francisco, it's, there's such a huge blessing in that obviously we have uh, the greatest weather for gardening. So you have um, accessibility to flowers, pretty much amazing flowers and foliage pretty much throughout the year. And also we have one of the most beautiful flower markets in the world, San Francisco Flower Mart. I didn't know and that. so, yeah. And for me, I was blessed to have that right under my ear. I would go there early in the mornings is usually when we go and just kind of walk around the flower mart, see what I liked. Sometimes I didn't even know the names of flowers, especially because I wasn't born here. So I had to learn the names of all these flowers that I already knew in Farsi, but, and slowly kind of just understand like wh what the process is. And so, and what I like, do I like to design something modern or do I like something to, to design something more feminine and kind of artful and colorful? In the meantime, as I was sort of discovering who I was, I decided to start my Instagram account. 
And I think that's really what was key at the time for me, because in those days, 20 years ago, how did you get to know someone? It was through word of mouth. Or if you got lucky, you wound up on TV with Martha Stewart. And that's like one in a million. But otherwise, you know, how do you actually have visibility? And for me, I thought, well, you know, I have a few options. One is to pay someone to talk about me, which is never the same, because if you're paying them, they're just feeling obligated. They don't have to say anything that exciting about you. Or it's just to find a way to expose what I'm doing and put eyeballs on it. And for me, it was like the, the easiest way was to, was social media, which at the time it wasn't really as heavily used. At least Instagram wasn't, you know, we, we didn't live in this huge world of never ending imagery in 2011 like we do today. I kind of put my process on Instagram and I began to, you know, at the time that I started this, this was like a little account for me and for my kids and whatever, but then I just started putting up flower pictures and I noticed that there was a lot of interest and I was getting more followers and more visibility. And um, then I just started to play with color because I noticed that, you know, most people are so reserved and so traditional where, where color is concerned. And, you know, you, you do only one tone, beautiful nude tones for your flower arrangements and this and that. And I thought, well, you know, what if I just put this red flower in there? What would happen next to the purple and the yellow over there? And then just, you know, here's this rainbow of color in my arrangement. And people actually liked it. I think that really just started the, this, kind of color trend within a flower arrangement and people were often happy to see it and when you're happy and you can live vicariously through something that makes you happy then you come back for more yes it's so it's such a like interesting way of um, navigating it but it's so I think what I find most poignant about it is like you were true to yourself you spent the time looking inside yourself and what you liked and you gave yourself the freedom to really discover that. And I'm a believer that, you know, that's the core, right? If you're trying to fit yourself, if you were going to be like, maybe at the time you would have had the choice to do more with all white flowers that everyone Mm -hmm. loved and it's just not you, it doesn't serve you well. And, you know, that's what's still you, you hit it on the mark in that I didn't want to be like everybody else because Everybody else was already them, right? right? I didn't want, there were tons of people who are making beautiful, safe and gorgeous white and beige and whatever accepted yeah. floral, this blush. For me, I thought, well, I want to be known. First of all, who am I? Who am I? And what, what am I? I want to bring this culture and my background and who I am as a person into this design. And I don't want to copy somebody else. I want to be known as an inventor and as an innovator versus somebody who is just a follower. And so, and I think in that sense, because I sought that, I was able to find out who I was and become somebody different. And uh, while that might not be for everyone, there is that 1% of the industry who still wants what I do and, and loves, in fact, what I do. And, and I'm okay with that. Absolutely. I mean, you know, all of the, the business, you know, books and podcasts and everything that I mm-hmm. listen to, it always says that you have to take a stand for the, it's almost better to define who your person is and who it isn't. And yeah. you want to 
welcome and also repel at the same time. And it's a scary thing to do. Um, yeah, and I think that as a, as a creator, I mean, as creative people, we have to be continuously inspired in order to evolve and be better. We can't always be the same. We have to evolve and we have to become something different because that's just what being a creator is, in my opinion. And so in order to do that, you have to be yourself. Now, where do you continue to get your inspiration from? Honestly, sometimes... A simple inspiration for me is walking through my garden or or the park. I live upstate New York, and this time of year, it's just beyond beautiful, as I'm sure you know. The colors, the the trees, and there's just so much beauty that you're surrounded by. And I mean, I go on a walk with my dogs, and I pick up an oak leaf on the floor, and and it's just, it has so many different colors and nuances, and And I think, well, this could be my inspiration for today's color scheme. And when you do that, then you come up with something unique because not everybody thinks like you do. You're unique in that you are, you have the eyes and you've got the brain and they're only yours, not, not anybody else's. For me, it's like, oh, well, what does my garden have today? For example, like my garden has these colors. What, what can I do to use all these colors and still make them look beautiful and not so haphazard and crazy, but, but but delightful. Mm-hmm. It's true. You know, before we we recorded, we were chatting a little bit, and you know, your work always inspires such an artistic component to it. I mean, I really do feel like I'm looking at a Dutch master's painting when I look at your Instagram. It's truly incredible. And for everybody out there, her Instagram is at Tulipina Design, correct? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank um, you. So you've got to check it out. <laughs> um, it's truly. It's like one of those things. Even if you're not a bride and you're not getting married. You just want to see it because it's so beautiful. Like, tell me about the artistic part of it. You know, do you look at those old Dutch masters for inspiration? For sure. Absolutely. I think that, well, for starters, I do love art. And, you know, for me, it's like, I come from a culture where art is actually a big thing for us and color. I mean, Persian carpets, when you look at them closely, they have such beautiful designs, such a deep, rich color, and um, they're complicated. They're not simple. For me, as I, you know, first of all, as I design, I do think I bring that into my designs. But also, when you look at a Dutch master painting closely, it often seems like somebody just went into the Dutch garden and picked one flower. Whatever they could find, it's just it oft it's never like it doesn't feel like it's been planned. It's more sort of oh well, this is what I was able to find in my garden, and now I'm putting it into the vase, and now this amazing painter is going to paint it. And um, for that reason, it's filled with color and texture and abundance. As I went through this journey of floral design, I decided that that is the feeling I wanted to bring out in people who were entering a room. And looking at an arrangement that I made was that, oh, or, or rather somebody was walking by it, but then looks at it, steps back to take another look again because they want to study it because that's how it attracts them like a piece of art. Yes, indeed, I'm quite inspired by those paintings. It, you, it very much comes through, but in your own unique way. It's it's amazing when you can you. see something like that and take a twist on it and make it your own. It's incredible. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
So, you know, one of the things I'm trying to do this season in the podcast is really educate brides and help them navigate this brand new, very uncertain world that we're living in at the moment. Mm -hmm. And so I'm talking to different experts in, in our industry about how brides should navigate their particular area. I would imagine, and I'm kind of, you know, speculating here, but I am... In your arena, it's actually one of the hardest parts because in terms of COVID and changes, um, you have perishable items and you're spending a lot of money up front. But mm-hmm. just walk me through a little bit about, you know, what, I guess, how you're navigating the situation with your brides, what you're looking, what, you know, you think they need to look at and, and what you're looking at. Well, I think, first of all, let me begin by saying that Almost all of my weddings for this season were replaced for next season, yes. um, minus a couple who decided they just didn't want to go through with it or they wanted to have a very, not even small, but just like a simple ceremony. The ones who have postponed, they, they're literally postponed for one year and they're just waiting and hoping that um, things will go back to normal where they can have their family members and such coming to their wedding, at least more than just 20 people. And to those who have said they wanted to have a smaller wedding, some of them actually are taking advantage of the fact that they don't have to feed so many mouths and therefore they're able to create this amazing event, still have their budget for their flowers, but now it's going to be for 50 people instead of 150 people. And just imagine that you you create Mm. something incredible for that. And so we some people that way. And um, what better way to celebrate you? To, I mean, especially those who hire me, they love flowers. So they're never going to forego on their floral design for their events. And this has given them a chance to actually rethink how they're going to allocate their, their funds and um, what to do about this post-COVID situation. And so in my opinion, I would say beautiful flowers, beautiful gown, an amazing photographer. What else can you need? I think you're right. It's and some booze. You know? and that's it. And some booze. I mean, that's it. Like who takes, nobody takes photos of the booze. We all no, know what booze true. tastes like, but at least you have this amazing right. setting and you have this amazing, you know, this dress and yourself as a young, beautiful man and woman. And so, I mean, what else could there be? Or man and man or woman and woman. I mean, I think about it and I think, well, if I only had 50 people coming to my wedding, I could have had more flowers. I could have had, you know, just more of everything that I had and it would have been much more um, fabulous. And you probably would see them for the rest of your life. Whereas, you know, with a lot of these big weddings, it becomes, you know, oh, I have to invite this person from work and that person. And there's all of this. Yeah, like my clients that have done smaller events, you know, and postponed the larger ones for later, have all to a person said that it became this um, intimate, amazing, Mm. memorable, yes, like of love that they never would have had otherwise. You know, it's really like what things are supposed to be in Mm. in a lot of ways. I agree. We all work on them and it's wonderful and we love our jobs. You know, there's something really, when you get to just do what you want to do in in that way, in a design way, obviously know what they want to do right now, but like. Right. um, Even before all of this, I I always loved, my favorite number has always been like 
80 to, you know, 100, maybe 120 person wedding. And for me, that's the max because beyond that, and we've done a lot more, obviously, you know, more guests than that. But I've always loved the smaller ones because it turns into this really decadent and beautiful party, intimate party. I agree with you. For me, my favorite is actually a wedding at home. I love the weddings that yeah. are in the background of the bride's house or it's so something meaningful. like that. It yeah. is. And it, yeah. you're the only person that is going to have that wedding. And it's just exactly. kind of incredible. You know, I love the ones where we get to travel to amazing places and all of that. But yes. there's just something so special about a backyard wedding. I agree. Um, yes, same here. So in terms of COVID then, you know, how are you negotiating things with your brides that have had to postpone? Are you having conflicts of dates? And are you finding that you're not able to accommodate or? So, yeah, sometimes we, well, so for next year, I tried to give, it's hard because I did actually give the dates for the ones who had to postpone. They had the opportunity to actually pick their dates that they wanted without necessarily um, any conflicting other clients. I think we have a few weeks, maybe in May or June or even July that we have literally like weddings one one day after another. And I can't say that I'm looking forward to that particularly, but we are trying to accommodate people who want us. And quite frankly, because we need to make up for what we lost in terms of revenue this year, because we didn't make any revenue. We didn't make a thing this year. So we are living on air at the moment. Yes. You know, I think everyone in our industry is, it's so hard. It's crazy. I mean, I think, and for, for the luxury providers, which I believe, which, which I consider ourselves, we literally have like a, a season. And for us, our season is literally, it begins late April to middle of October, sometimes in California in November. But beyond that, that's it for us. We don't have yeah. like events throughout the year like that. I know I, my business is the exact same. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've tried to diversify into other areas sometimes that are, you know, like I have um, a dressing team in Palm Beach because they're at the opposite sure. time. But yeah. it's not the same thing in any way. And yeah. also this year, it's not really mm-hmm. happening. So it's, yes. I think that, you know, brides and just making them aware of what vendors are going through. I think that it's really, it's an important part of it. Mm-hmm. Have you changed things in, like in your contract? You know, I've certainly added COVID clauses, but how are you yeah. protecting yourself? And like, what should people look for um, when yeah. they're you know, negotiating with their designers? I basically, we have a, and my husband is better at this because he's the one who does all this. Um, and I might not be exact in what I'm, I don't know exactly what it says, but I know that it basically said, well, obviously we're telling our clients, okay, you can, you can do all because we understand that if you cannot get married in May still in 2021, which I hope that's not the case, we're going to give, give you an opportunity to reschedule, right? Once. You can reschedule once. And obviously everything is so uncertain. We don't know what, what tomorrow brings with this whole situation, but we have, and we have lowered our, um, also our deposits. We are much more uh, lenient with, yes, there has to be a deposit. Otherwise I cannot start working. I cannot work for you for free. You have to give me a deposit, but we have some clause that also protect us in that 
well, you have to, you know, this is a non-refundable deposit. And obviously, we are willing to work with you depending on what the new rules are. But beyond that, I'm just not in the business of, oh, yeah, whatever. Just let's wing it. I I had clients coming to me. Oh, my gosh, this was so disconcerting, I have to say. People who were quite um, well off and unaffected, you know, by this industry, because there are a lot of not industry by this COVID-19 situation. I mean, I think that the one we are affected as service providers, travel is affected, obviously. And of course, the whole entertainment industry. But then there are other aspects of the economy that are really not affected by this. And so they're benefiting in some ways. Benefiting. And I had this father of the bride coming to me and telling us that we needed to, first of all, not ask for any more than a certain number of whatever, however much we ask for, for our deposit. Like, oh, he, he thought that was too much, even though we had lowered it. Then he said that, well, he didn't, he couldn't commit to a certain like minimum because I usually have a minimum for my weddings. Otherwise I can't, I, I can't do what I do with, you know, $5,000 uh, flower sure. budget. So we have a minimum. And he said, well, what if I only had a 20 person wedding? Then what would happen to that minimum? And I said, I'm sorry, then, then take that minimum and make something extravagant for your right. beautiful event for, for your daughter's wedding. But and then he was like, well, you don't you don't really have any options and you you don't have options to bargain with me because I've got the bargaining authority. And and, uh, and I just thought, even if I'm literally like dying to, to, to book this event, I don't want it. I don't want to work with you. Yeah. You're not a cool person to think that of me and to try to try to take advantage of me like that. Or they'll say, well, everybody else is giving us a discount. Why don't right. you give us a discount, too? Well, why should I? I'm the one hurting from this. Why should yes. I give you a discount? Oh, it's true. Someone said to me the other day, um, not personally, but it was a different vendor who was quoting their price that had not been reduced. And um, she said that the client said to her, is that your COVID price? And she said, no, it's my price price because I have to live, you know? Yes. Uh, It's really... And and that's the stance we've taken. And you know, for us, the value of our work shouldn't be diminished because we have a pandemic. That is just right. not how it works. And it's yeah. too bad that some people think that that is how it should be. Oh, my gosh, it's so true. I think everybody is saying that our industry will come back and be stronger than ever, you know, Absolutely. as soon as we get a vaccine, because people are going to be thrilled to celebrate. Yes. But it's right now that people show their true colors. I can't tell mm-hmm. you how many clients have said to me, if you need me to pay you for next year now, I'm happy to do so. Or, you know, like, what can I do to help? And it's really, mm-hmm. you see the people that are really that exceptional care. you want to fill your yes. life with, you know? No, um, Because you do, as a vendor, you give so much of yourself and your time and your love and your creativity and your energy. You have mm-hmm. to find the right partners for it. So I agree completely. Yeah. And for us, you know, that's just our stance is that if even if this means that we're going to hurt financially, we do not want to work with people like that. They can they, I'm sure they'll go and find plenty of other people who will take their money at a lower rate. Yeah, no, it's true. And then in terms of next year with bookings, I would imagine you're already really booked with the people our that are under full. We have booked obviously new clients. 
I, there's no other room unless you're getting married, like, I don't know, in December or something. Our calendar from late April through October, especially for Como, I feel like Como is kind of ends towards the end of October, but then California is beautiful in November. So yeah. we've got California in November. And um, so, I mean, it's just, some, I've got some weddings here on the same, a wedding here in New York on the same date as I have a wedding in Como. And we've, this for the first time really ever, we've decided that Nathan, Nathan and I are going to sort of divide and conquer in that he will be running a team here. And I I would have some of my best here, my best designers, and then I would be running a team in Como and try to get all of this done gracefully. Absolutely. And try to recoup a little bit of what I, I yeah. think that the hard part is that, you know, for people that have these dates now taken next year, it, that's a date that you wouldn't have, that you can't serve a new bride in a lot of cases. No. So it's a very difficult scenario for a it lot of really people. Is. I mean, we literally have, and I know this is the case with almost every one of my friends in the industry is we have replaced an entire season. That's yes. it. Like we have replaced it. And now we're trying to squeeze in some new stuff sure. where we can. No, that's absolutely true. So what has been the silver lining in all of this for you? What have you gotten to do that you would not have and how? So for starters, I mean, I travel so much. And while I love it because it's really my passion, I've kind of been grateful to not have to travel so much and be home with my kids. Um, I love being home with my kids. We have a beautiful property here upstate and that we've been continuously working on since we moved um, two years ago. And, you know, in the summers, we were, we were, ne- were never here because we we're abroad working. And so we had a chance to be home and to really attend to the gardens and um, build and fix so much on the property and basically do all the things that we would never, ever have a chance to do had we been actually doing the season that we were supposed to this year. So I'm really grateful for that. And just the time that I have gotten to spend home with my kids. And how old are they now? My children are uh, 17, 15, and soon to be 14. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. And that's hard traveling away from the teenage years. It really is. I mean, people say traveling away from, you know, your newborn, not your kid, you know, your toddler or whatever, it's hard. Oh my gosh, you have your hands full. That is really incredible. That um, being a mom of teenagers is, and I've done many hard work. I mean, I've, I've, I mean, I feel like I've lived a life of an immigrant. I have lived through war um, as a young person and revolution in Iran. But I tell you, being the mom of teenagers is probably the hardest task of my life. It's been hard especially with trying to actually grow a business um, that we've been doing since 2011. So it's just not easy. And it's not easy to raise good humans in today's world. That is so very, very true. Now, do you have boys or girls or both? So my oldest, the 17-year-old is a girl and I've got two boys, 14 
15, 15 and 14? Uh, I think that it's such a hard age to be going through this because they're at that critical social development stage. Yes. I mean, of course, all the learning is askew and every everything is upended from a oh, learning yeah. perspective, which is awful. But yes. from a social perspective, my daughter's in seventh grade and my son's in fifth. And it's less for him, but for her, I'm like, oh my God, yeah. you know, although if I could skip seventh grade in person, I think I would. Yes. <laughs> I from all of that trauma, but I know. it's not easy. I, I um, mean, I don't think my kids are having that hard of a time being at home necessarily, but I do feel like it's been harder just for us to be able to adjust to always having kids home. Like we haven't oh. had our kids go anywhere. Um, and so since March and, or even just like the few hours per day where they would be able to go to school and just be normal school children. Who wants to tell our kids to get up in the morning and get on Zoom? Cause we have to get up and get them up and make sure that they're on. They're on their Zoom classes and they're not missing assignments. And it's just such a pain. Like, I don't want to be a in-home school. Helicopter oh, mother. Oh, yeah. Home yeah. Schooler. <laughs> Homeschooler. Yeah. Like, that's just not yeah. what I'm not a teacher. I don't want to be like, I'm not, I don't want to be a teacher, but I've had to be a homeschooler. Yeah. And a technology expert and a business runner yes. and a mother and, and a wife and, and a police so you know <laughs> I have to police it because for me like I am such a I don't want my kids on these devices all the time like yeah. I the reason why we even moved from San Francisco we were living in an urban area and we moved to kind of middle of nowhere here upstate and our life is so different than it was in San Francisco and I wanted that change for my kids because I didn't want my kids to grow up in this society where they feel entitled that, that, that everything is readily available to them like it is today and and that everybody should you know everyone's parents should buy them a car and this and that I mean it's just I didn't want that for my kids and I wanted them to grow yeah. in, up in nature, at least part of their, their youth. Yeah. And I, I'm constantly having the police and make sure that they're doing their music. I may have my boys play musical instruments. And so it's, uh, I'm trying to offset this crazy world of social media that we live in. Yes. Well, I mean, and that must be particularly interesting for you because social media, not only do you have like a billion followers that you have, um, but you you know, it's a big part of your life. Right. So it's a hard it is. Absolutely. And it's for me, it's like, I have to be on my phone. I have to be on my computer because it's a part of my job and what has made this business. But at the same time, I'm telling my kids not to be that way. And so it's a hard balance, yeah. uh, but I try, I try. Yeah. That's all we can do. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for being here today. I can't My tell you pleasure. how much I've enjoyed talking to you. And I Same. think it's really valuable information. So thank, thank you. you. And, thank um, you, Julie. I look forward to hopefully seeing you in person sometime yes, soon. Yes, so do I. And take good care. Thank you. You all too. Right. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us today. I hope it was helpful. I'd love to hear from you. So please reach out if you have any questions or if you just want to say hi. Either way, send me a DM on Instagram. My handle is at the stylish bride. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast from. So you never miss an episode on how to be dressed, styled and down the aisle. Bye for now. Bye.